greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we cry. Enter in and worship. Oh, we fall down, lay our crown at the feet of Jesus. Greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry. Let's just sing it again now with all our hearts. We fall down and we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus.
service man on this this special occasion we just want to continue to praise our lord jesus christ with songs of worship and adoration amen i have a little song on my heart i hope you'll sing with me above all above all power above all king above all nature and all Above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known. Above all wealth 
and treasures of the earth. There's no way to measure what you're
special prayer request to him in prayer. You deserve the glory and the
with all your heart. any infirmity, any sickness, disease, virus, nothing could stand before him. Man, one touch from the master's hand could set you free. Amen. We're going to turn to him in prayer. I'd like to ask Brother uh, David if he would be ready to take the needs to the Lord in prayer for us. <clears throat> if you would, remember Sister Sarah Buchanan, uh, feeling very tired, and uh, we just want to remember her in prayer. If you'd remember... Uh, Families that are traveling and uh, for the holiday season, uh, Ben and Sharon away. I want to remember them in prayer. Uh, also, the Britons are not with us, and uh, the Pritchards away for the holidays. We'll remember those families. Um, have a prayer request here for Brother Wayne Coffee. We'll keep him in prayer. Um, he is doing well. Um, he may possibly be coming home today, so if you keep that. In prayer for our dear brother, bring him completely through that ordeal he's going through. Um, brother Bill Walter's surgery um, has been delayed to January the 2nd, so we'll keep our brother in prayer for that upcoming surgery. And also for Henry Coffey, uh, his surgery will be December 28th. Is that correct, sister? It's December 28th, and then I think that's Thursday. So if you'd remember him in prayer, uh, also for Sister Munch who's not feeling well today, if you remember her in your prayers, amen. That's all the special needs I have before me. Do you have unspoken prayer requests by the uplifted hands? And God sees your need, and we'll be praying with you, friends. Brother Dave. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just come before you, dear Lord, at this Christmas time, dear Lord, at this Christmas season. As we celebrate your birth, dear Lord, we know it wasn't at this time, but we will take this opportunity with the world to celebrate you and your birth, dear Lord, of stepping down out of heaven and coming 
to be a sacrificial lamb for our our sins, dear Lord. We just thank you for that. Although we celebrate with the world, we don't celebrate as the world does, dear Lord. We just thank you for the revelation and a prophet that come in this time, dear Lord, to reveal you to us once again, O God, as we come humbly before you, dear Lord, asking forgiveness of our failures and shortcomings, dear Lord. We just ask, O God, that you see us through your your blood that was shed for us, O God. We just lift our brothers and sisters up, dear Lord, to you that are sick and afflicted in the body, O God. When, when a body part hurts, dear Lord, we all hurt. So we just ask you, dear Lord, to come in a mighty way to each one, O God. Touch their bodies, restore them up for a, a greater testimony. We just thank you for our brother Wayne. We just ask you to continue to restore him, dear yes, Lord. Yes. We just thank you for such a wonderful testimony of a mighty work, dear Lord. We just give you all the praise and glory and honor for it, O God. We just ask that you bless the remainder of this service, the song service. May it be a sweet savor to you, O God. Just ask you to anoint our pastor as he comes, dear Lord. Let him step out of the way and be a yielded vessel in your hands. Anoint our ears to hear what we have need of, O God. We just ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother David. I'll let you have your seats. And. Let's sing a little song just before uh, we have a special from uh, Brother Mitchell and Sister Ashley. Uh, They'd be getting ready to sing. Is that correct, Brother? Special. So let's sing this little song, I Just Want to Be Where You Are, QC Musicians. I just want to be. I think that's the wrong key. I just want to be where you are Dwelling daily in your presence I don't want to worship from afar Oh, draw me Just want to be Oh, 
This is a new one for us. We've never done it before. We were going to try and do it last year, but never got around to it. Um, it is a little bit different of a song, um, but I hope you all will enjoy it and find it a blessing. Um, we all know this time of year is uh, supposed to be happy and joyful, and uh, we're supposed to be celebrating. But uh, for some, though, it can be a very difficult time of year, especially if we've lost someone or we haven't been able to see someone, you know, for a while. And so this song is just uh, kind of a, a prayer and just a reminder of who the season's actually about and what he can actually do for us. So just pray it'll be a blessing for you and uh, just pray for us. So gathered around the table, so much to be thankful for. It's Christmas Oh how I've missed this But through the joy and laughter You can feel the sadness Cause this Christmas Everyone's not with us It's the time of year Where happiness and cheer won't be enough to get me through the night. I need a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, who's strong enough to carry me in manger told us he'd be no stranger to all our sorrow and all the hurt we'll ever know so let these gifts remind us how love came down to find us the wonder of the ages the light the truth the way he is our child is born for us 
unto us a son is given and he will live and he will die to conquer death and bring us life forever and he will be our wonderful counselor the mighty god the prince of peace who's strong enough to carry me Ashley, God bless you. And let's all stand this morning, and we'll ask the uh, deacons, or the stand-ins, uh, if they would come forward and take up the morning offering for us. And I'd like to sing that song, There is none like you, and no one else can touch my heart. Amen. Brother Chris, play. Touch my heart like you do. Well, I could search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. Oh, there is none like you. No one can touch my heart like you do Oh, I could search for all eternity, Lord And find there is none like you Once again There is none like you Jesus No one else can touch my heart like you do Oh, I can search for all eternity, Lord And find there's none like you Oh, come let us adore Him
pray together this morning. And uh, as we pray, let's remember uh, this particular need. We had a lot of needs on Wednesday night expressed and uh, had some wonderful feedback from that. But I wanted to mention Brother Joe Drum. Uh, on Thursday, he had some scans done, and they were checking to see if there was any cancer that was there. And he got a, a, a clean bill when it came to the scan. There was no cancer anywhere. And uh, <clears throat> they're still testing, and there's still some things that they're checking with Brother Joe. But, hey, we'll, we'll, that's good news. We'll take all the good news we can get. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you are a God who answers prayer and you're a God who cares about everything that we go through. And Lord, there's nothing we can hide and there's nothing, Lord, we can pretend isn't there in your eyes because you see everything and you know everything, Lord. And we're comforted by the fact that you have an answer for everything that we face. And now in the name of Jesus Christ, we commit those that are not here today, Lord, to you and their various needs. And some are traveling, Lord, with family and spending time away and Lord there are some that are needy and need your help need your touch and we're just praying that you would comfort them Lord with your presence today we thank you Lord for this opportunity to be here and to worship you Lord on this special day and we ask Lord Jesus now that you would just uh, honor us Lord with your presence today and Father may we be forgiven of every sin everything that might be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit and Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us tonight and comfort us, Lord, and reveal your word to us. We love you and we thank you and ask your blessing now upon this little time together. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. And amen, praise the Lord. We're going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and we're going to go to two places in the scripture. While you're standing, Daniel chapter 2. Thank you, musicians. We appreciate <coughs> your contribution this morning. We're going to talk a little bit this morning, and I think it's good for us to gather on this day and be able to worship the Lord for just a uh, little time together. We're going to talk about the birth of Christ and the death of death. Daniel chapter 2. We just want to take two passages here, both very common. Daniel chapter 2, and we'll look in verse 21. Let's start at 19 here in Daniel 2. Everybody got it? Say amen. amen. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons, and he removeth kings and setteth up kings, and he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light shineth with him. May the Lord add his blessing. <coughs> Excuse me, Hebrews, the second chapter. And you're welcome to read on the board here with me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Good to have all the Parks family with us today. God bless you and uh, all of you today. Uh, we appreciate uh, each and every one of you being here today. We have a lot of folks that are missing, but uh, we're glad that we have you. Today is uh, Brother uh, and Sister Knobloch's wedding anniversary. 
and uh, always easy to remember. It's also Hope Pritchard's uh, birthday today, so we pray that the Lord will bless them. Uh, if you did not get, get or read the update, we do have service on Wednesday night. Uh, Brother Dennis McBride will be here on, on Wednesday night, and then Sunday, Lord willing, uh, I will be back from the Winter Youth Retreat and uh, be here for next Sunday. Uh, so we will have the retreat uh, that begins on the 27th and then uh, be back, Lord willing, on Sunday. I don't know if everybody's going to be back, but we'll have at least, Lord willing, I'll be back and uh, be here. The other thing that's happening uh, tomorrow, Brother, uh, not tomorrow, but uh, Tuesday, I believe it is, Brother Aaron leaves for Ghana. And uh, he's going to be over there attending Brother Caleb's uh, wedding. And uh, Brother Caleb uh, is, uh, found a, a girl from Ghana, and they go back to Ghana. going to have the wedding over there, and Brother Daniel also is there. And uh, Aaron wanted to go and uh, represent uh, HBT. And uh, in the meantime, you know, as if he wouldn't have enough to do, uh, He's taken, uh, we've we purchased $4,000 worth of Bibles. So on part of his trip over there for the wedding, they're going to be going out into some village churches there and bringing Bibles on behalf of Vision Books. So uh, we appreciate uh, him doing that and pray that God would uh, bless his traveling as well. Now, <clears throat> let's just take a simple thought this morning. And, and this is uh, a little bit off our series that we've been doing on the harvest time. And uh, this is a uh, special special day for us. And again, if, I, if you read in the update, uh, this is a special time for me personally because it was in this season on the 23rd of December 1979 when I gave my heart to the Lord and was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I remember that day very, very well. There's some memories that I have of that. There's even a recording of comments I made in the pulpit after I got baptized. And uh, they're not well publicized, but uh, I do have, they asked me to come up and, and just share a little testimony uh, after I was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they recorded that, and I still, we still had the recording somewhere uh, in the house, and uh, I, I just commented on the fact that, uh, you know, before I came out to be baptized, I had traveled the world and done all kinds of things, but I'd never met anything real. I'd never met anything like meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, uh, it was uh, the beginning of a change for me and uh, certainly a, a red-letter day and a day that I always uh, hallow and I consider to be special. And uh, so this season was a um, special time for me ever since that day, December 20, 23rd and Christmas time. And I remember on my way back from uh, when I was baptized at this church, the church is about 250 miles away, and I was, I was traveling on the bus back to my uh, hometown in St. John's. Uh, I had a message that they gave me. Somebody had, had slipped me a message, and I had it in my pocket, and I took it out. And I hadn't read many messages up to this particular point. But I took out this one, and it was, uh, we have seen his star and have come to worship him. And that was the, the sermon that I had. And I remember uh, it took me... Uh, I mean, it was probably a six-hour journey uh, with the stops on the bus. And I think I got to about page five by the, end of the, uh, by the end of the journey, after six hours. And the reason it took me so long was because as I was reading the first five pages uh, of the sermon, Brother Brandon was talking about uh, myths that we believed about Christmas and, and things that were 
Catholic and things that were incorrect about Christmas. And I just couldn't get over the fact that somebody was, uh, you know, pointing these things out so clearly. And I kept writing on the book and the margins and everything else. And I had, it was, I still have that, that particular sermon book. It was such a uh, special thing to me. It was, I mean, I just couldn't get over how accurate he was describing what the truth of it really was and the error of, of it was in five or six pages. And, and I, uh, later on, I went and read the rest of the sermon, which is tremendous. But this was such a, an illumination to me. It was such an eye-opener for me. And I remember in the early days of my conversion, that's, that's the way we described it, that everything was new, everything was exciting. And now it was like uh, there was a, a blanket over everything. You know how an artist will carve a statue and put a blanket over it, and now all of a sudden the blanket was pulled off and everything was in plain view. And it was such an exciting time for us to be able to see things that were unveiled. Now only God can do that, only God can unveil like that. And make it real. But I remember it was so real. And we remembered every detail about uh, that experience of the early days when we were first illuminated. Sister Namsa, it's good to have you back uh, this morning here. Just wanted to mention that. Now, <clears throat> there, are, there are things that, uh, you know, we discover about God's word, like I said. And, and for me, the discovery of the message. And then reading the Bible along with that was an extraordinary thing because it was amazing how... Uh, coordinated this message was with the Bible. Now, we had never grown up reading the Bible. We had a Bible uh, in our house. It was a, uh, a Bible that was about that thick, and uh, it was uh, a Bible that every Catholic family had in their home, and it was called a Bible dedicated to the Rosary of Mary. That's what it was called, and it had a picture of a rosary on the front, and it was all about, there was all kinds of inserts in it uh, about passages about Mary and how she was virgin born and all these other things there. And uh, we never read it. I mean, we had no drawing to read it. We had no, no inclination except for the pictures. There were great old master's pictures there, drawings of uh, the life of Jesus and old times in the Old Testament. And I remember many times picking up the Bible to look at the pictures, but never read a word of the Bible. Had no drawing to lead uh, to read the word of the Bible. That was a Catholic Bible, so it was very translated in a different way. So when we got a hold of the, uh, the, the King James Version and then laid that side by side, reading that with the message of the hour and listening to tapes, we were just amazed at how coordinated this all seemed to be. It was amazing how they went together. There were no contradictions, and I've still not found a contradiction, uh, despite the fact that people uh, claim that there are. I've never found a contradiction yet. If there's any misunderstanding or contradiction, it's always been in my understanding. And over time, your understanding matures, your understanding changes, and uh, we understand better. There are 69,000 places in the Bible where uh, there is a coordination between one or more verses in different places. 69,000 places where we have examples like this. In Isaiah chapter 7, and he said, Hear ye now, a house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but ye will, will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall send you a sign. And behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we know that Isaiah went to sleep in death, believing this and having said that, but not living in a day when it came to pass. So he had to commit it to a future time, Right? There are 69,000 places where this happened. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord 
by the prophets saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, people, when they do surveys, they say people are very comforted by the fact that the Bible has all of those almost 70,000 instances where there's a connection between this part and that part. And people, they say, believe that the Bible is a special book partly because of so many, so many places where it seems like no ordinary writer, no ordinary author could put together a book like that. There must be a higher power that has produced the Bible. And, and we're not talking about believers now. I'm talking about people in the world. They, they're comforted by the fact that there's something special about the Bible that makes it unique. And, and, and this aspect of all the connectedness between uh, so many different writers, because we know historically, a very casual study will tell you that these were all different writers who put it together and contributed their part, but yet they're so uh, interconnected in different eras of time. And that apparently is a very comforting thing to a lot of people. It's comforting to me because it's true. It's comforting to me because there are no mistakes in it. It's just, you know, that's, that's what uh, our God can do, and we believe that he's certainly able to do that. And that is a a thing that's real. But let me say this, that in every era people have lived, and I'm going to be really simple this morning, in in an era uh, in which we live, it it is really easy for us uh, to, uh, you know, who associate with the message of the hour and the movement of God in the last day, it's it's, kind of... Uh, we have, a, in a sense, a running commentary or a documentary about what is taking place in our times, right? We know we're living at the end times. How many believe that? And, and we, we know that pretty definitively by, by revelation and uh, looking at the timeline of God that a prophet pointed out to us. And we know that uh, you know, certain things in the book of Revelation have been fulfilled. They're past tense. Some of them are being fulfilled, and some of them are going to be fulfilled in the future. We know there's going to be three and a half years tribulation. We know there's going to be a thousand years of millennium and then new heavens and new earth after that. We have descriptions of what even the new heavens and new earth is going to be like. Now there's some things that we don't know and we're not going to know because they are reserved for God to fulfill in his time and then we will know. <clears throat> but I find it interesting all the time, and this is what I want to do this morning. I find it interesting to think about in other ages what it would be like if we lived back in that time and what it must have been like for people back in that day to to be living through and experiencing what it was like in the days of the birth of Christ. Did they have any idea what was going on? Did they have any idea what was actually taking place? And my contention is, is that there was a lot of things actually that they did know about the coming of the Messiah. There was a lot of things that were, prophes- that were prophesied, just like we read in Isaiah chapter 7. Those verses were not put in after, after the birth of Christ. They were put in well before the birth of Christ. And the problem is they didn't know when, and they didn't exactly know how God was going to do this. How shall a virgin conceive? And not for lack of study, because Jewish rabbis and scholars and the Bible people back in the Jewish day, uh, they were very astute, probably a lot more astute than theologians even of our day. They were people who, like Brother Branham said and many others have said, that they could take a scroll and they could roll it together, put a pin through it and tell you every letter that uh, that pin went through. I can't do that with the King James Version, and I wouldn't want to do that with the King James Version, because I have my new version right here. And don't you get any ideas about putting a pin through mine either. But they were very astute about their study, and they, 
they had certain ideas, they had certain thoughts about what it was actually going to be like. They had ideas about uh, what the scripture said and their interpretations of that. And so I want to just briefly look this morning at what it was like back then and how uh, that people would have uh, experienced this whole thing of the birth of Christ. Now, Brother Branham said in God in Simplicity, he said, many, many miss him by the way he reveals himself. They miss him by the way he does it. And now man has their own ideas of what God ought to be and what God is going to do. And as I have made the statement many times, man is always giving God praise for what he did and looking forward to what he will do and ignoring what he's doing right now. Ignoring, being oblivious to what it is that's going on right now. Now for me, I, I, I want to know what's going on now because I want to be a part of it. God's put me on the earth now for a reason and, and I, want to, I want to know exactly what, uh, what I'm supposed to get, what I'm supposed to know, what I'm supposed to be doing, and where I'm supposed to be. I don't know about you, but I, I feel very strongly about that. I want to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. I want to be hearing the right thing. And I know, I know that when a man has a, an understanding, listen, when a man has an understanding of what he's on the earth for, and what he's ordained to do, he needs less encouragement than most other people on earth. When you know what you're here for, when you know what you're supposed to do, when you're called to do, you need a whole lot less encouragement or prompting than other people. People who don't know what they're doing, they're, they're always floundering, they're going from this to that and wandering from this place to this place. Uh, they need a lot of encouragement to keep going forward. But somebody who knows what they're on the earth for, when they know what they're supposed to be doing, those people are very focused, they're very tracked, and they need a whole lot less encouragement than most other people. Now stay with me now, we'll work on that. Brother Bram says though very carefully, I want to make note of the fact that many people miss him by the way he reveals himself. Now, here's Brother Branham in Modern Events, and the, the striking thing about this quote is the date of it. This is 1206, 1965. This is the last, perhaps, the last uh, week of his, of his preaching career, uh, because in a, in a very short period of time, he's going to be gone. There's a couple of sermons after this, leadership, and a couple of others, but, but this is essentially after all of the years of ministry, since the early 40s. But watch what he says in here. He's talking about the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Brother Bram says, now watch how he made himself known to those people as their Messiah. The promised word of the age. As he said to the prophets, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Brother Bram said, now watch how he makes himself known. Remember now the previous quote. Many people miss him by the way he does it. He says in this one, watch how he made himself known. And as he said to the people on the road to Emmaus, fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have said. He refers right back to the word and he never came right out and said, don't you know me? I'm the Messiah that's resurrected. He just gave them the scripture like John did and the rest of them. And they have to pick that out themselves. They have to judge for themselves. Now he says, don't go to sleep. People, 1965, wake up. Hey, you better wake up because this is one of the last sermons he's ever going to preach. But here's Brother Branham at the end of his ministry still teaching people what it means to have a prophet among them. He's still doing it. It's not like he did a series on it back in the 40s and all right, that's settled. We don't need to touch it again. He's still at it. He's still teaching people what it means to have a prophet. 
And if you have a prophet among you, everything changes because the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. And God doesn't send a prophet just to show miracles, right? God doesn't send a prophet just to say that, you know, God still got prophets. He didn't do that. He sent a prophet because there was a word to come in the last day. It would be given to the bride in phases, in pulls, and it would eventually translate that bride from here to eternity, right? The word came to that prophet. And here's Brother Branham at the end of his ministry, still teaching. He taught it at the beginning. He taught it in the middle. He teaches it right to the very end. This is how God reveals himself. He doesn't come out and say, hey, I'm William Branham. I am Malachi 4. Hello, duh. Can't you put this and this together? He doesn't do that. But rather, he comes and ministers the word of the hour because there's something in the elect that picks up the word of the hour because their names are on the Lamb's Book of Life, right? And, and, and they have a connection. There's a divine connection made because of the word being preached in their day. So I had no connection with the Catholic Bible because I had no connected. There's no conversion. There was nothing in me to connect with that. But when I heard Brother Bram's voice, hey, listen, you're, talking, you're listening to somebody who sat before the Pope. I've been blessed by three different Popes two different times. I've been blessed by three different Popes. And I, ha- I had the Pope speak to us personally in an audience in a, in a room uh, that didn't hold much more people than what's here uh, right now. A few more people, but uh, not much more. January 28th, 1978. 1978 or 1977. I have the invitation at home if you don't believe me. Anyway, all of that happened, and I had no connection with it. I had no response to it. For the life of me, I still can't remember what he said. Imagine being in front of the Pope as a Catholic and not remembering what he said. It would be just like you going home today and not remembering anything I said. It would be terrible. Or going to a meeting where Brother Brandon was preaching and not remembering anything he said. Well, there was a lot of people that had that experience, right? But there are people who God puts something in them to connect to the word of the hour. And a prophet brings the word of the hour, right? A prophet or a reformer through the ages brought the word of the hour. And there's a divine connection that's made. So this is the, this is the, uh, the, the thing that uh, Brother Branham is doing. He's telling us exactly how. God lays out the word of the hour. He brings his word in season, gives them the scripture, and then there's something in them that discerns. There's something in them that picks that up. And they make the right judgment. They make the right call. This is of God. I remember when I first heard the message, when I heard, first heard Brother Branham's voice, you know what he was doing? He was organizing a prayer line. Because somebody gave me part two of a tape instead of part one. And I was listening to him. Brother Bram was saying, all right, now, he says, uh, who's got number 22? 22? Who's got 23? He said, look at your neighbor's card. Somebody might be deaf. Here, who's got 23? Okay, who's got 24? That's the first words I heard Brother Bram say. And I knew. I don't know how. I knew this was truth. Somehow or another, I had to hear more of that. And I, I just, there was a divine connection made because you're connecting with the voice. It wasn't with the man, but there's somehow, there's something in that voice that, that God put something in me to connect with. And from that point, Brother Shem has a great testimony of uh, being down in, uh, in uh, North Carolina in Duke University, right? Duke University, and coming across the message of the hour, bypassed Google, bypassed everything else, and went and found the message of the hour and listened to it because there's something in that voice that drew him straight to truth. Never knew a believer, never knew other people around in the message at all, never knew, you know, in a church or anything. But all of a sudden, here's the voice, and then drawn to it through all of the muck and the mire that's out there and all the faults that's out there, and comes right to the tree of life and realizes this is truth. 
can't explain that, right? I can't give that to you. But it is true nonetheless. And here's Brother Bram saying, what you have to do for the elect is give them the scripture, give them the word of the hour. And he says there's something in them that picks up what's real. And they had to pick that out for themselves and judge for themselves. And he says, don't go to sleep because you're in an hour when the word is coming for this day. And you're going to need to pick up on that. You're going to need to judge correctly now. Either this is right or it's wrong. Either this is really true or it's really false. One or the other. Because there's no halfway when it comes to a prophet, right? Come on, folks. And here's Brother Bram telling us in the last of his sermons, the last of his life, wake up and realize this is what's happening. In the same way that uh, they asked John the Baptist, what then, art thou Elias? And he saith, I'm not, and art thou a prophet? And he answered, no. 22, they said, uh, then said they unto them, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? Well, what's a prophet going to do if this is God's way of revealing himself? What else can a prophet do but go back to the scripture? I am, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's why one time I asked Brother Vale, Lee Vale, I asked him one time, I said, when Brother Branham talked about uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and people praying through, you know, when, they, when they're born again, and, and Brother Branham said, now there's brothers over here uh, in a room and you can go talk to them. Brother Vale's there and different ones. You know, I asked him one time, I said, what did, you ask, what did you tell the people? What did you tell those new converts that came? And he looked at me and he said, how can I say anything different than what a prophet said? In other words, the same thing. When a prophet asks this question, what's he going to go back to? What's he going to default to? But the word of God. He's going to go back to the prophecies concerning him. So when it comes to us and somebody asks you about conversion, what are you going to show them? You're not going to show them Baptist theology, right? We're going to bring them back to the word every time. That's what a believer does. And John says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight uh, the way of the Lord and so forth. That's what, that's what John did. That's the default is to go back to that. He's the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight a highway, make straight a, in, the, in the desert a highway for our God and every valley shall be exalted. And this was John's ministry. This is what John rested on. We don't find anywhere in Isaiah where the name John is mentioned, but it doesn't have to be because his ministry is there. In the same way, we don't find, behold, I send you William Marion Branham, and he shall turn the hearts of the church. You won't find that, because that's not what God uses to turn the heart, to, to catch the attention of the people. He places the word in there, and he calls him, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet, right? And then let somebody step into that channel and fulfill the scriptures related to that prophet, then we know, bingo, we've got a connection. We've got a, a definite identification of who William Branham actually is, right? So when, brother, when they asked Brother Branham the same question, and many of them did, and many of them wondered, he could point him back to Malachi 4. He could paint him, point him back to Revelation 10, 7, because those are the scriptures that defined who he was. You know what we can say then? We are not following a man. We are not following an individual. We are following fulfilled scripture. That's what we follow. Everybody all right? Now, this is easy. Right? Because you've got hindsight. You know what happened back there. And it's easy for you if you have revelation today because you can see and get a glimpse of what's happening today. And I'm, I'm telling you, you're a blessed people. I've said that many times. I often end services and saying things like that, that we're a blessed people. But all, all I wanted to do today was kind of take up my yellow highlighter and highlight that. Because I think we really are a blessed people to see what we see in the day we live in. 
Now remember, you're in a larger company when you can see what God did. And you can, you can figure out what God's going to do. But to see it today, now that's a different group of people. Now you're talking small, right? Now you're talking smaller churches, not bigger ones. So we know that God holds the key to revelation uh, of Christ himself. God holds that and God gives that out. It's not something you attain. It's not something you get by an intergenerational representation. In other words, you're not going to get revelation because your dad and mom have it. That's not the idea. God hides things for us and God reveals things to us in his own sovereign way and in his own sovereign time. It is not something that we... That we can do ourselves. Now, just very briefly here, Brother Branham said, uh, he was talking about how that, uh, when they crossed the the Jordan River back in the days of of, uh, Joshua, and they carried the the ark on their shoulders and so forth, and he said the snow was melting in Judea and coming down from the mountains, and it looked like he picked the worst time of the year to cross Jordan. But God likes to take those kinds of times to prove that he's God. So God is, is if, if anything, he's going to lean towards what looks like more impossible uh, in, to fill his word so that people would know that it is God. Now, here's the paragraph I want, or sentence I wanted to get to. And men of God who believe God, men of God who believe God, how many of those do we have here today? How many women of God do we have here? How many young people of God do we have here? People of God who believe God and know what God has promised are not afraid to do it, are not afraid to put their foot in Jordan. They're not afraid to go across. They're not afraid to proceed because God will stick with his word just as certain as he's God. People of God know one thing, and that is they know one thing for sure, and they have this in common, that if God said it, it's okay. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to be all right, and you can deposit it in the bank. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen for sure. And this is what the people of God who believe God actually count on, that if God said it, Let me tell you, it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. It may not come to pass in your lifetime. And it certainly may not come to pass the way you expect or anticipate. But it will come to pass. Brother Rams turned and saw uh, America as a smoldering wasteland, right? In in a time of, uh, you know, those seven visions. And he saw that. And he doesn't say how it's going to happen. So lots of people have assumed automatically that uh, it's going to be a nuclear blast, right? Because that's a kind of blast that levels things. But what about if it was Yellowstone blowing, right? I mean, that's, they say scientists, I've, re- I've read the docu- documentation, and they've said that's enough, enough of an earthquake, enough of a blast uh, if, if uh, that, that uh, whole thing blew up over there to cover America in, in uh, like a foot or a foot and a half of ash. And that's what Brother Bram described. So just what if it wasn't nuclear, but it was Yellowstone? Or let's say, what if it wasn't Yellowstone or a nuclear blast? Let's just say God did it anyway. The point is that God said it, and one day it's going to come to pass. And I'm kind of counting on the fact that we're not going to be here. So God took thousands of years to fulfill his promise of a coming Savior, and 4,000 years of God took to fulfill that promise. But he knew from the beginning just when it was going to happen, and he knew no one else did, and he just said it would happen. That's all we get. In other words, we don't get all the detail, but we get some. And when it happened, the people was in such a delusion, people was in such a delusion, they went into darkness. Uh-huh. They couldn't see. They could partly see. 
They had to read from one screen instead of two. And they certainly didn't want to read the one that was lit up on that side. He knew. No one else did. And when it happened, the people was in such a delusion that they didn't know how to accept it. Now think about that. The people were in such a delusion that they didn't know how to accept it. So they're being told things about the Old Testament. Let's say the coming Savior after 4,000 years. So we're talking about the birth of Jesus, right? Everybody look at this. Don't look at that. They're talking, they're, Brother Ram is referring to this coming Savior after 4,000 years. And they've got all kinds of scriptures. They've got all kinds of prophecies and promises about the first coming of Jesus. But it's being interpreted a certain way. So now when it actually comes to pass, they don't know how to deal with it. Here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Sorry. Jeremy apologizes too. Because it's really hard. I see the young guys are going like this. I'll say it all again later, guys, for you. Here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they're shouting, Hosanna, King of, of Kings, and uh, Hosanna in the highest. They're shouting all of these things. and I mean, that's a fulfillment of Scripture. You know, he shall come lowly on the, uh, on the foal of an ass and so forth. They, you know, they, he, the Bible describes that very clearly. And now he's doing this, and they see it. And they're actually in the crowd, and they're singing Hosanna. This, this very possibly could be him. We've never seen this before. Now it's happening, and it's in my lifetime, and here it is. But they don't know how to get that through the filter, because the filter is always, already, always said, It's going to happen this way according to the scripture. But how could this Jesus be the one doing it? That's the killer. That's the question. How could this Jesus be the one that fulfills that? The scripture, listen, to a Jew, the scripture was not strange or foreign. They knew their scriptures. They were taught very carefully. In synagogue, every, every Saturday, they were taught very carefully and they read their scroll, scrolls very faithfully because they were a people of the book and they were not unfamiliar with the scripture. But how do I accept that? How do, how do I process that? How do I make that fit with this Jesus? And my contention is this, is that a lot of these people who knew the scripture didn't know how to process it, so they had to discredit it. The only thing to do when you can't make it fit with your belief system is to discredit the real fulfillment of it because you're not ready to abandon your interpretation of it. And that's what, that's the tragedy, and I think that's the thing that God hates most of all. Stay with me now, very briefly. And when it happened, the people was in such a delusion. He said it would happen, and when it happened, you understand, God's not... God's not denying the fulfillment of it. He's actually doing what he said he was going to do. He said it would happen. And when it happened, the people were in such a delusion till they didn't know how to accept it. And he said, if that same thing hasn't repeated again. Could it be possible that everything that's supposed to be happening in our day, according to the scripture, if it's actually happening, but the problem is people don't know how to deal with it, They don't know how to process the fact that William Branham could have been the fulfillment of all those prophetic scriptures. And then all the things that Brother Branham said in the ministry that he had, could they actually be the fulfillment of the opening of the seven seals and all the other things that were going on? Could that actually be it? The problem is not that the scripture is not there. The problem is not that the prophecies are not there. 
The problem is not that everybody didn't point to this hour. They did. And the Bible verses are all there about the second coming of Christ. It's processing, getting this whole thing through your filter. And that's what he's, that's what he's warning us about. Because God's, God has attributes, doesn't he? And God's not afraid to display the attributes. He's not afraid to express himself. The image of the invisible God in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ was the image of the invisible God. Do you believe that? Look over here on the screen. He's also Jehovah's Shalom. He is, he is a God of peace. Do you believe that? <clears throat> in Isaiah chapter 9, Behold, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's the Prince of Peace. He's also present. He is Jehovah Shammah, right? He is all of that. And he did all of that in the Old Testament, back in the days of Gideon and Moses and Elijah and all the other uh, great examples we find in the Old Testament. And he, is, he, he, be, he was prophesied to be Emmanuel. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. That's actually two words. Eman and E-L at the end. And that literally means God with us. We find in Matthew 1, we've referred to it already, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, that his name would be called Emmanuel, which is interpreted as God with us. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord bidden him and took uh, unto him his wife and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. So uh, this is a, a very select disclosure here that God is doing. And he's waking up Joseph and telling him, this is what this is. This is God with us, God fulfilling his word. Now, Give me a minute on this one for a moment here. He was Emmanuel, Brother Branham says. In other words, he was the expressed image of Jehovah on earth. As Jehovah unveiled in flesh, living here on the earth, the only begotten of the Father from his bosom. Anybody unclear about what that says? He was Emmanuel. This was God with us. That's what the promise was. That's what Jesus was. And that's why he says, in John later on in the book of John, he says... Search the scripture, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they testify of me. All those nice pictures I just showed you here, Je Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, all of those things are the attributes that God displayed. And Jesus is saying, take the book and compare my ministry and who I am with that, and tell me where I have fallen short. Don't bring your filter, don't bring your interpretation, but bring the book. And that's the thing they could not filter through. That's the thing they could not get. That could this Jesus actually be the one who fulfills this? When he had a controversial birth, you know, Mary uh, you know, had a child before she was actually married to Joseph and all the rest of it. And, and, and in other words, if you don't believe it, if your filter is too strong to let the truth through, you know what's going to happen? You're going to discredit the truth. You're going to find a way to make the truth wrong. You're going to find a way to make the truth false. That's absolutely what you're going to do. <clears throat> now, here's a little passage for the common Jewish Bible. I'm still on the word Emmanuel, okay, just for a minute. And I love the common Jewish Bible because it is the common Jewish Bible. This is a good understanding of Old Testament passages, but especially when it comes to New Testament passages that refer to Old Testament passages, it's really nice and accurate. So watch what it says now. <clears throat> but you, Bethlehem of Ephrata, so small among the clans of Judah, out of you shall come to me the future ruler of Israel. I'm saying this for a reason now. Whose origins are far in the past, back in ancient times. So you that come out of 
Bethlehem, the least of all the towns in Israel. But you who come out of there, your origins go way back. And this is a reference in the Hebrew to eternal things. So whoever this is, and now remember now, this is Old Testament, all right? This is the, uh, uh, the, the quotation of Old Testament principles here. So we're talking about what Jews believed. Jews believed that when the Messiah comes, he'd come out of Bethlehem, and it would be the eternal one, and he would be the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. No less than God. I'm saying this for a reason here. Therefore, he will give up Israel only until she is in labor, gives birth, a virgin shall conceive, and the rest of his kinsmen will return to the people of Israel. And he will stand and feed his flock in the strength of Adonai, in the majesty of the name of Adonai, his God, and they will, uh, they will stay put as he grows the very ends of the earth. In other words, this is, to them, to a Jew, this is God. This is the eternal one. This is the Messiah that we've waited for. That's what they believed. That's what they preached all of their years. I found this very interestingly. I found this quotation by a rabbi who wrote this about the coming Messiah. He said, the Messiah one coming out of Bethlehem has existed for eternity. This is a Jew now. He is human by birth, but supernatural in his origin. And although you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me a judge to be a ruler in Israel. And this is the King Messiah. This is him. Out of Bethlehem he shall come. And when he comes, this will be no less than God. This is a Jewish, very famous ancient Jewish rabbi. And this is what he wrote. And this became the belief of Jews over the years. That he who was born out of Bethlehem, and he who came, the Messiah, he who came and was born of a virgin, like the scripture says, he will not be an ordinary human. He'll come by human birth, but supernatural in his origin. It's, it's amazing how people, even before Mary stood on the earth, they believed that that's how Jesus was going to come. Before Mary was here, before Mary conceived and had that child, the Jews believed it right. That this is actually going to be a, a God somehow manifested on the earth and come through a, a, a virgin and he will be human by birth, but supernatural in his origin. They believe that. And even though you are little among the nations here out of Judah, you shall come forth, and this is the King Messiah. So in other words, listen to me. Everybody would have the radar up looking for somebody born in Bethlehem. Hello? And there would be supernatural accompaniments with this Messiah being born on the earth. Hark the earl angels sing. You know what I'm saying? This would... This would have to be a supernatural event because this is no less than King Messiah. These are what Jews believed before Mary and Joseph made the trek. Amazing. Brother Bram said, you see, so Jesus was God. He was not no third person, fourth person, second person. He was the person. He was God. He was God Emmanuel. God come down from glory and revealed himself. Brother Bram said, now the devil, he believes that Jesus Christ is, he, do you know the devil believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you know that all these Pharisees and Sadducees, everyone was very pious and religious people, how they loved God, they thought, and failed to see the innocent one, the Son of God, to recognize him to be the Son of God? 
They were very religious, pious, scholarly, knew the Bible better than any of our scholars today, and they had nothing to do but sit there through their generations and serve the Lord and wait on that King Messiah to come. Right? That was their life. They, they waited for him. And you know what? Where is he going to come? He's going to come out of Bethlehem. And how is he going to be born? By a virgin. All right, we have two signs at least. We have two indicators. But they fail to see the innocent one when he was born. You know why? Because it didn't come according to their doctrine. It didn't come according to their way. Now here's Exodus chapter 25. This is something else the Jews believed. This didn't depend on New Testament fulfillment. This is what the Jews believed. Exodus 25, they're out of Egypt. Moses is off the mount. He comes down off the mount. And God tells Moses, go among the people and take up an offering. Take up an offering of gold, silver, and brass. And do that and collect all the materials. And let the people make me a sanctuary. A temple or a tabernacle. You know why? Because I want to dwell among them. God's intent always was, I want to dwell among my people. I don't want to dwell among them just above them or just as a voice in the distance or a light in the darkness. I want to actually be with them. So build me a tabernacle and I'll come to it. But you know what? The tabernacle they built was not the end of the prophecy. The Jews knew, listen, the Jews knew this meant more than just a box they carried. They knew this was God somehow going to come. This was a type. They knew that somehow God was going to come among them. And here's Jesus standing there among those people that are questioning him and saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because you know what? I've come to the real tabernacle that Exodus 25 talked about. This is not in a closet. This is not obscure. This is what a Jew believed, that that God would create himself a temple and come live in it. And it would actually be God with us. Malachi 3, same thing. Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. It's John the Baptist. And the Lord whom he seeks shall suddenly come to his temple. John, John, in other words, is there as a herald to announce the imminent coming of, of the Messiah, King Messiah, to his temple. Ah, oh, saints of God. Now remember now, this temple was not just to live among us and uh, throw the Romans out and so forth. He was there to accomplish the death of death. Death is going to die, right? Satan could only bring people to the grave, but God could destroy death so that when people who believed him died, they would keep on going past death. To me, that's what Christmas is all about. It's the birth of Christ and the death of death. It all began right there when Jesus was born on the earth. And that's the beautiful part. That's the important part. Because if Jesus was not born and, and lived in a body, he could not die. And if he couldn't die, when you died, you'd still be dead. But now that Jesus died and death died because Jesus lived, right? And he rose from the dead. You and I can go right past death in the glory in a new body. Hallelujah. What a Christmas gift. So this is not New Testament here. I'm reading Old Testament things here. And Brother Bram says, let's trace the name a little bit. You know, the prophet said his name would be called Emmanuel. Paragraph 73, Emmanuel, his name was Jesus, God with us, Father's name. And he says it over and over and over again. He's repeating the same thing because he's saying exactly what the prophet said. He started a new creation. God was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. The beginning of the creation of God. He's also Jehovah our healer. He's Jehovah our banner. He is Jehovah our provider. He is all of that. 
And in this little town, this stable on the side of the bluff, out of there came the prince of peace, born in straw, manure piled up. But out of there came the great prince, the seed of the woman. And out of there came the savior of the world. That's what the Jews were expecting. They didn't know how to reconcile Jesus with this. You understand what I'm saying? The problem was they had veils over their eyes. They were led to believe incorrectly so that when he came, they couldn't put him through through the filter into that place where he actually matched the truth. This is what they waited for. This is what they believed. And this is what they saw Jesus demonstrate. But they couldn't reconcile it. Because if this is true, you know what? I've got to become a follower of Jesus. And if they became followers of Jesus, they'd have to lay everything down. And there's a lot of people didn't want to lay anything down back in that day. All right, let's look at Bethlehem just for a minute, and then we're going to close. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this tax was first made when Cyrenius, the governor of Syria, all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto the city of David, which is Bethlehem. So now this begins. Outside of the angel visiting Mary, now, now we have all of us, because all of that happened in Nazareth, right? Now all of a sudden Bethlehem comes into the picture. What's a Jew led to believe? A Jew is led to believe. What happens, happens in Bethlehem. We know that King Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, right? And now it's happening. Now Joseph gets an email from the government saying, hey, You've got to be counted in the census. You can't do it online. You've got to do it in person. Remember those days? <laughs> and he had to physically go to Bethlehem. He's got a wife. She's expecting right at nine months. Micah chapter 5. Here it is in a different place. Thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth. Unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. In other words, this person will be an eternal person. Natural in body, supernatural by birth. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth, and a remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of the Lord. Because the work of the Messiah was to restore, to bring people back. Right? This is what Micah. So they're reading it in Isaiah. They're reading it in Micah. They're reading it in the book of Exodus. They're reading it in the book of Numbers. All these different places here. And when the people heard this, and they heard when they heard the saying, instead of a truth, this is the prophet, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? And had not the scripture said that Christ come of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? It all happens in Bethlehem. The slaughter of the innocents happens in Bethlehem because that was the prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 31. All of these things point to Bethlehem. Brother Brown said angels must have looked down and rejoiced when they looked on the manger and seen God incarnate. And no wonder they began to scream, Today in the city of David is born Christ the Savior. You know what's happening? It's happening exactly as the scripture said, but not in the way that people had it interpreted. And they have a veil over their eyes. Angels rejoice, swung their big wings together over the hills of Judea, saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And they sing God's word, watched over it to see it manifested. God's got, listen, if that's true of that day in the first coming of Christ, listen to me, if that's true in the first coming of Christ, 
that God's got supernatural angels watching over the fulfillment of the word so that it comes to pass exactly as God said. Wouldn't it also be true today that God's watching over the fulfillment of his word so that it comes to pass exactly as he said? You th- you're sitting here thinking, well, I might mess it up and I might not be good enough and I might not uh, you know, be in the right place at the right time. You have supernatural beings watching over you to make sure you're in the right place at the right time, believing the right thing. That's why some of you up and moved and left and went from one church to another and all of a sudden you find yourself here. And I'm not suggesting that this is the end of your journey, but I do know this, that wherever God wants you to be, God will get you there because it's not just you making decisions. It's not just you choosing things and it's not just you reacting to circumstances. I believe God allows certain circumstances so that you wind up being exactly where God wants you to be so you're hearing the right thing, so you have the right kind of faith, so your body can be changed because you've got a place at the wedding supper. God's got a chair to fill with your name on, and God's going to get you there one way or the other. And the best way to come is willingly, not forcefully, but willingly. The best way to come is not as a resister, but one who's a believer, and one who accepts and obeys and follows God's word. That's the best way. You need to be all in. And when you know, when you know that you are cut out for that purpose, to be in the wedding supper, to be a member of the bride of Jesus Christ, you need less encouragement than lots of other people. When people are not born again, but they're just church members and they're familiar with the Bible and the message, they know lots of things, but they don't really know what their purpose is. To a believer, we know we're called as the bride of Christ in the last day to step out of here without death and to be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Supernaturally change bodies like we change coats and to step into that realm and be there. You know what I would advise you to do this morning at the end of this is to be all in. And, and I'm not just saying that to be, uh, to be uh, you know, modernistic, because I'm not a modernistic kind of a person. But I will say this. I think it's a good, if you want an example, one of the best examples is Anna. And Anna, in the, in the, in the uh, birth of Jesus, she was a prophetess. And Brother Bram said, you can have prophetesses today. He said, Anna was a kind of one. And she was a person who was an aged woman. She was 84 years old, had been with her husband uh, seven years, but she was a widow about fourscore and four years. Now, she was not a widow after her husband died. Brother Ram said that she was 84 years old. And she served God. Listen, she departed not from the temple. By habit, I keep looking at this darkness over here because half the world is in darkness. The other half is in the light. She's a widow for a lot of years. You know what she does? She says, I'm going to take my life and I'm going to position myself in the temple with fastings and prayers, serving God, living for the, living for the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. And this is, this is who Anna is. We could say that for Anna, in spending all of those years in the service of the Lord, in the temple, and studying the scripture, reading, and just rejoicing over the things of God. We could say that Anna was all in, couldn't we? We could say she was a very dedicated person. Fastings and prayers night and day, and she, she coming in. Hey, all of those years in serving the Lord, and all of a sudden, one day, one day, the Holy Spirit just signals to her in whatever way, and the Bible doesn't tell us how, But in whatever way, he says to her, 
you will see the fulfillment of the scriptures about the Messiah in your day. That's what he says to her. At some point in this experience of her being in the temple and dedicating her life to God, the Holy Spirit favors her. And favor is an important thing. And we will talk a little bit more about favor. But one of the things for sure is that favor comes when a person is all in. Favor of God does not rest on people who are not all in. I believe that God favored Mary because he knew in Mary she had a heart that was willing to say, be it done unto me according to thy word, whatever it is, Lord. And she had that. And God, she, matter of fact, Elizabeth said to her, you are highly favored of God. I believe, I believe I'm talking to some highly favored people here. I believe that. Because God knew in the last days a lot of people who would be occupied with a whole bunch of other things. But there's some people who would simply say, I'm willing to give it all up to follow him. I'm willing to let it all go to follow him. And I believe when you're willing to do that, as a young person, whether you're willing to do it as a family, whether you're willing to do it as an individual, there's a favor that God blesses us with when we, we commit and, or when we say we're all in. There's nothing like being all in. There's nothing like being sold out to God. And this is what Anna was. And in some way or another, God must have signaled to her, gave her the confirmation that you're not going to die until you see the fulfillment of these prophecies come to pass. So now for her, she's got one focus. She doesn't have a dozen. She doesn't have a whole lot of irons in the fire. She's got one iron in the fire. She's got one investment here. And that one is, is that no matter what else happens in the world, and no matter what goes on, and no matter what Pontius Pilate does, and no matter what anybody else says, I'm going to be alive when that King Messiah, who is spoken of in Micah and Isaiah and in the book of Numbers and the book of Exodus and all the other places in the Bible, he shall suddenly come to his temple. I am going to see that temple. I'm going to experience that. And she knew that. And that was her one focus. People who know what their focus is need less encouragement than other people. And she was a person who had that one particular focus. I pray that God would illuminate that one focus in your heart today. I pray that God would, hey, it's, you know what? I have a lot of fun being a grandpa. I have a lot of fun being a, uh, you know, I have uh, my, all of my granddaughters are here today. Almost all of my grandsons are here today. I have a lot of fun being a grandpa. And I have a lot of fun being a, a husband. I, my lovely wife is here. I, I love being a husband. And I, I, have, I, I have a lot of fun being a brother. And, I, uh, you know, I have siblings and I, I have a lot of fun in different capacities. And I, I love to work with wood. And if somebody calls me a woodworker, oh, it just makes my day. I, I, there's lots of, lots of different things that I love to do. I even, I even enjoyed being a father. Yeah, I know. I know you're laughing. But it's true. But that's not my primary focus. Despite all of those important things that God has allowed me to do, my focus is to be a herald of the king. My focus is to let people know in the world that you know what? He sent a message in this last day and it's true and it's real. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's my bridegroom. And we're going to leave here without death and we're going to cross over on the other side and we'll be there. My best blessings come when I'm all in and sold out to that purpose. The favor of God rests upon me when I maximize everything that God's given me to fulfill that purpose. 
I pray God will give you a very clear purpose in life. Some of you young people think, well, I could be married and I could be living in this town or this seaside cottage or I could be living over here or I could become a rocket scientist or whatever else. Don't miss your, don't miss your calling. But I will tell you what, as the bride of Christ, we're called for one thing. That is to be the bride of Christ. That will involve many things, but you are, we have one purpose. And when you have a people who know their calling, they need to be encouraged a whole lot less than people who don't know what their calling is. Because people who don't know their calling, you've got to encourage them to go to church. <laughs> they don't even see the need to be in church. They don't see the need to read their Bible. They don't see, they, I mean, they've got all kinds of irons in the fire, and they've got their hands around all of them. Being all in like Anna was means that you get your hand on one iron. And yes, that's the primary thing. Yes, there's other things. I've got to eat and drink and raise my kids and all the rest of it. But i got my hands on one thing, and that's the fact that I'm not going to die. As old as I get, I'm not going to die until I see the fulfillment of Micah chapter 5. And she was sold out. And when Jesus came through that temple that day, in the arms of Mary and Joseph, and passed by, she saw in the baby everything that God had promised. She saw in the baby. She saw in him. Because to God, he doesn't need to have the thing fulfilled in order, to, in order for it to be the thing. People of Revelation, the people of God, see the thing in whatever form it's in. And she saw in the baby the Messiah. She saw in the baby, listen, she saw in the baby salvation for Israel. In the baby, she saw peace. In the baby, she saw healing. In the baby, she saw all the attributes of God that had been displayed through 4,000 years. But she also saw in that baby the death of death. Because she knew if this was the Messiah... He was going to take care of our sicknesses. He was going to take care of our sins. He was going to take care of our peace. He was going to take care of our joy. He was going to take care of our leadership. He was going to take care of our conversion. You know what? If that's the Messiah, now we can put all of our hopes and rest everything on him. But he's also going to take care of what happens when I die. And this is a new thing that's birthed in Israel. And she had the conviction. She had the all-in approach that God's given me the conviction that I am going to see him before I die. In this body, with these old eyes, I am going to see him. And she was right because she believed that if God said it, it was going to come to pass. And when the baby passed by, she didn't look at Mary and Joseph. She looked at the baby and saw in the baby everything that was to be fulfilled. Let me tell you something. I believe my testimony this morning is this. On December 23, 1979, when I looked in this message, when I looked in the message, in the first views of the message, I saw everything for me I had ever wanted. Everything I ever needed, I saw in this experience with Christ. In my conversion, in, my, in this experience of meeting God, in this experience when I knelt down and surrendered my life to Christ, first time I'd ever done anything remotely like that, and knelt down and gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I saw in that everything that I would ever need, everything that I would ever have to have in life to make it through this life and in the life to come. And I never knew what I know today. Somehow or another, I just knew in the same way Anna looked at that baby passing by and saw in him everything that Israel ever needed. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musician slip back up here. <coughs> in reality, 
when we look in the word of our day, we see everything that we have need of, everything that God's going to do. What I'm saying to you, saints of God, is that today, if you can understand even half of what I'm telling you, we are a blessed people because God's allowed you to see what's unfolding in your day, not waiting for another day to look back at it and say, aha, that's what happened. We're looking at it today and say, thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes. We're a blessed people. We are a blessed people who enjoy his presence. We are a blessed people who enjoy the understanding God's given to us. It's not because we're smarter than other people. It is because, it is because God has given us eyes to see and ears to hear. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. We're going to sing. Emmanuel, Emmanuel is God with us. Let's sing it this morning here. Brother Jaron comes. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, his name is Jesus. Let's just worship him for a few minutes this morning. God with us. 
said to his own congregation, he said, I pray that you'd have a blessed and uh, happy Christmas uh, time with your family and friends and uh, being able to relax a little. It's good for us to do that. And I just trust that God's presence will be with you through the days that lay ahead and as we face a new year, just to catch the vision that God has for us in the new year. I believe next year is going to be a, an important year in many different ways. And uh, we appreciate you being here today. And uh, certainly miss all of our families, the rest of our congregation. Good to have our visitors here today. And may God bless you uh, richly today. Heavenly Father, we pray now that your blessing would continue, Lord, to rest upon this assembly, the work you've called us to do, the vision you have bestowed to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would minister health and strength to each one, Lord. There are some that are sick today and need a touch from you. There are some, Lord, that as we go forward, Lord, dealing with different things, we are just praying that the presence of God would rest upon each family and each individual, Lord. Your, your grace is always so appreciated, Lord. Your grace is what we have need of. And Father, we're not changed yet. Our bodies are not changed, so we still have a ways to go. And as we face a new year, like your prophet taught us, Lord, we we desire, Lord, to stay in tune with you and to walk closely with you through that year, catching everything that you would want to impart to your bride. We thank you, Lord, for this assembly. Thank you, Lord, for what's been accomplished. And I pray today especially, Lord, for Brother Wayne Coffey and ask, Lord, that you would just allow him, Lord, to have the strength to be able to go home and be with his family over the holidays. Pray, Lord, for Sister Faye and just ask that you would just continue to give them recovery and strength, Lord, encouragement. It's been a difficult time, Lord, but we just know that you have watched over him and brought him to where he is. We love you. We thank you. We ask your blessing now upon each and every one. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.
Thank you, Jesus. We're going to let Jaron sing a little bit this evening here. This My Redeemer is faithful and true. God. 